Hello everyone and welcome to episode 10 of Dixie Discusses. With me this week, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have Mr Frank McKenna uh, from Downtown and Business. How are you Frank? I'm good, thanks Matty. All the better for the weekend of football that we've just enjoyed. Most definitely, mate. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in a sec. Um, obviously, as, as we mentioned, mate, before, um, I've obviously crossed paths with you a few times over the years in terms of, obviously, the businesses and stuff that we're involved in. But um, just wondered whether you, you obviously wanted to start just by telling us a little bit about downtown and business and how you're getting on at the minute. Yeah, I think uh, we're doing okay, like all businesses. You know, we're, we're having to face challenges of the COVID restrictions. And, and one of the things that we... Uh, are well known for is the events program that we put together and usually yeah. they're live events and obviously that's how people can come together and do business deals which is what we've done over two billions worth of business deals between our members over the past 18 years so mm-hmm. disappointing that we can't do that uh, but the other side of the business is very much on the political public affairs and policy side so we're really busy there and that's sort of mitigated against the work that we haven't been able to do around events. We've all done what everyone else has done in terms of loads of Zoom events and, and online stuff. But you're not going to look anyone in the eye across uh, a laptop and do a deal for a couple of million quid, are you? Like exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so we are where we are, but we're cracking on and we're being as positive uh, as we possibly can be. Um, and, you know, we're doing better than a lot of businesses out there you're in hospitality, you know, it's, it's an absolute killer at the moment. Yeah. And many yeah. others as well that really feel for for businesses and business owners who are, are having to, you know, go week by week without really knowing what the route map out of this thing is. Uh, but, yeah, Downtown and Business, uh, it's a member organisation. As I say, we usually do loads of events. We help businesses promote themselves, raise awareness of the products, do business deals across the city city region we offer we operate now across the country so we're in eight regions including london Netherlands, yorkshire as well as the whole of the northwest 900 member companies if you go onto our website all the w's down down in business.com uh, you'll get a fuller more comprehensive idea of what we do brilliant that's great frank um obviously like you said it, it wasn't a bad uh, it wasn't a bad few days was it really for <laughs> us last week and uh, i've heard you mate i think you've been on every everton podcast uh under the sun lately haven't you mate <laughs> you, you know you're in demand most definitely um but i know it is you obviously in terms of going into this week it was a massive week for us wasn't it really in terms of you know the, the performance against newcastle and obviously the results certainly wasn't what we wanted um but obviously getting picking up four points from the week uh, has been great. Just starting off with, with the Leeds game, no, Frank, what did, you, what did you make of it? Yeah, I actually predicted four points, didn't I, on, uh, on you did, the podcast? Because I, I felt that after the Newcastle debacle, that Ancelotti was actually almost reacting to a, a situation there where he's, he's underestimated Newcastle in a sense and maybe overestimated his own players uh, and ended up with the team that just on the day not only didn't perform, but didn't look particularly balanced. And then he went into the game on the Wednesday, as I think Ancelotti likes to go into a game, which is low expectations. So, you know, I'm as aware as any one of our poor records at Leeds. And they mentioned the league, which I think was the last time we played there. I was actually at that. I was in um, corporate hospitality with the Pro Sandwich Brigade, and we were absolutely woeful in the League Cup. Absolutely woeful. Uh, I remember it myself, Frank. Oh, yeah. um, it was dreadful. Didn't it, 
was it Francisco Junior? Yeah, made his <laughs> yeah, debut. Did, yeah. yeah, that always yeah. sticks in my mind. Yeah. Mate, but yeah, you're right. It was yeah. a bad game. Man. And we were, you know, I think one of the things that made us all fall out with Moisey in the end was that he didn't take the cup competition seriously enough, and that was obviously the best way of us winning a pot. So um, that sort of game, but all the other times where we've gone to Leeds, even when we were, you know, playing well. Uh, we've not got a great record there. So, as I say, I think we went there as underdogs which sort of suited Ancelotti to an extent. He was then able to to, to select a side that I think he's more comfortable with. And we might not always agree with that, but it's Carlo Ancelotti. <laughs> so, 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 I think we have to have a word with ourselves sometimes. And, you know, I thought first half in particular, what a tra- tremendous performance that was. It was one of the better... Um, 45 minutes that I think we've seen from Everton for a while now. And, you know, to get the two goals, uh, give Ziggerton a bit of credit because he's coming for a bit of stick this season, for a couple of seasons now. I thought he played really well in his preferred position of number 10. Calvert-Lewin, obviously important for him to get on the score sheet again. Uh, but right across the pitch, you know, we look more solid, we look committed, we look lively. And I just thought... You know, at the end of that first half, was sat pretty here. And then we did the typical Everton thing, didn't we? <laughs> Conceded a, a bit of a sloppy goal and then a bit of a nail-biter. We should have gone 3-1 up at one point, shouldn't we? Where um, We've broken away. Should have done yeah. a bit better there. But ultimately, you know, the results what matter. Uh, we came away, we won the game and then into... Into the weekend, but no, I, I was Matty. I don't know about you, but I, I was absolutely delighted to get three points at Ellen Road. Course, it was great. Yeah, most definitely, Frank. And you know, I, I think I think I'm a little bit younger than you, mate. Not not by much, but I think I'm a little bit. <laughs> um, and and it's, it was drummed home to me. Um, obviously, how bad our records was at Ellen Road for, for yeah. years. And then obviously they've been they've been down, haven't they, yeah. for for quite a few years. Yeah. Um, but I think it was it was the only the, the second win in forty odd years or something. Frank. Well, Rooney, so, Rooney got his first away goal there, didn't he? Which they showed yeah. a couple of times on BT. I mean, I wasn't at that game, but I remember it well. Uh, and again, it was at a time when we used to go to Leeds just expecting to get beat. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was important to, in terms of just the historical uh, hangover that we've had there. We've got another one uh, away from home in a couple of weeks where the same thing Most applies. So yeah. let's hope we can turn that over as well. But I, I just, you, you know, as I said last week to, to the guys, um, I just thought that we looked disjointed. We didn't look convincing. I don't think the players got the system that we were playing against Newcastle. Uh, and then on Wednesday night, it went back to what I think Ancelotti's sides are good at, which is every player knows the job. It might not be the, the most exciting thing to watch your time, but he knows what he needs to do to get a result. And I think, you know, as I say, if I heart back to the Newcastle game, we put a very attacking-minded side out there but maybe we're not as good as we think we are as supporters because I would have picked ID Saturday against Newcastle. Dina yeah, and Cohen bombing on, Rodriguez in the middle pulling the strings. You'd have expected that team to overturn Newcastle all day long, but they never got at the races at all. And I just think, as I say, Ancelotti has a system of playing with this squad of players, and I don't think it's the finished product by any stretch of the imagination. But with the setup he's got, I think the way we've three played this week in the away games suits his style and suits us more than when he tries to be expansive. 
No, I, I totally agree, Frank. And like you said, obviously going into the United game, um, you, you just looked, you looked at that back four. And I know, don't get me wrong, it's changed a little bit because I mean, I, I thought Mina was outstanding against Oof, Leeds, yes. um, and then obviously he, he was he was rested on the weekend. Yeah. So, but like you said, in terms of you know Godfrey, um, Godfrey in there and and Holgate, um, we just we just look at a, a more of a solid outfit, don't we? I think, um, and you know, obviously going into going into. Uh, Saturday night's game, Frank. It was. Uh, it wasn't. It, it, we'll probably start with saying it wasn't a great first start. To put it mildly, was it? Well, I thought twenty minutes in, we were looking comfortable. You know, and mm. and uh, one of my mates, Togo, te- texted me and said, "Oh, we, we're looking all right here." And then at two minutes later, you know, yeah. bloody typical. Um, they they go and, and and score, and you know, again, you can look at that goal and you can say. Dina should have looked closer, perhaps, and you, you know what, whatever criticisms you want to make of the defence. But up until that point, we'd look fairly comfortable. I thought, and I think Ancelotti said that. And then, to be fair to the the, the kid Fernandez, that was a world he wasn't it. I mean, that was a great yeah. goal. A second, uh, and so you go in at two 0 They've won nine in the week, and again, I think all of us were thinking it's damage limitation. This. Um, you know, we, we've just got to make sure we don't get humiliated here because they're capable that forward line. They've got to love Cavani. I think he's a tremendous player. I wish we'd have. I don't know whether we did try and get him, but I wish we would have. Uh, he scored against us every game uh, now as well, Frank, he, hasn't he? He's such a clever player, though. You know, and I think again yeah. the age profile will, will maybe have put Everton and, and other clubs going uh, off uh, about going and getting him. But I, I think he's a terrific player, and um, yeah, so so he put one in, obviously, but. You know, just as I say, we're looking at that second half thinking, let's just keep it to two. <laughs> let's let's not be And they've come out and they've had a real go. Got back to 2-2. Two, two, and then again, I thought, went back into their shell. Um, I think if we'd have continued to attack them and get at them, we might have even done better uh, on Saturday night. But of course, when you score with the last kick of the game, uh, an equaliser feels like a win. And you know, I was dancing around the, the living room like every other Evertonian, I'm sure. Terrific um, finish by Calvert Lewin as well. Uh, I don't think he got the credit he deserved because of the drama of the night and because of the you know the inevitable television analysis of what Manchester United had done wrong. Um, the fact of the matter is, you know that that kid. Has, has just come on leaps and bounds over the last 12 months. And that was a tremendous centre-forwards finish. You know, that was just the touch, then putting it past the keeper. You know, the laugh about, hey, it should have cleaned them out. <laughs> you, you, oh, can't, you just can't believe that hypocrisy, can you? But you can't ulti- it, can you? But ultimately, you know, I, I thought um, going forward, we'd look, we looked good uh, on Saturday night. Ironically, I thought defensively, that was the worst we played for a while. Uh, mm. And we got away with a couple. We were conceding too many needless free kicks. The free kick they got the third goal from. Hallgate's come out and clattered the guy. He was going nowhere. You know, and that gives them a chance to put the ball in the box. Keeper, again, I've said this previously. For me, we haven't got a world-class keeper at the club. And we need one if we're going to go on uh, and do what we all hope to do in terms of our ambition. Um, yeah, but I, I think Olsen proved that he, he's he's on a par with Pickford. Um, I don't think his distribution's particularly good, and I think that's important in the modern game, whether we like it or not. 
Uh, and ultimately, you know, I think he was at fault. Probably good saves during the 90 minutes, but he was at fault for that third goal. Uh, and could have caused us one or two other issues as well, as, as I say, with his poor kicking, really. Um, but listen, overall, if you'd have said to me before the game, 3-3, Old Trafford, the point, uh, and particularly in the manner which it came, uh, I'd have bit <laughs> your hands off. It was fab- absolutely fabulous. Yeah, no, totally agree, Frank. And I agree with you on uh, DCL as well, that the, the finish, the way, obviously, it's obviously so late in the game. And for him to have that, it, 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 I thought it was really composed, to yeah. be honest, the way he took it down on his yeah. chest, the turn he's straight in, and then obviously he puts it, he puts it past the gear. But like you said, um, I think there's quite a few players in that team who, who've come on under under Carlo, but uh, obviously I think he's got to be the top one, hasn't he, to, yeah. to be nearly at 20 goals now, um, considering you know the, the career that he's had at Everton. Yeah. In terms of working under different managers, it's uh, it's absolutely superb to see. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, on the night again, he's coming for a lot of stickers, Tom Davis. And I haven't been his biggest fan for, for the uh, for, for the most part of the season. But he had a great game on Saturday night. Deserves a lot yeah, of credit. Yeah, I agree. And you, you, listen, we all want to see the local lads coming on, don't we? So if Davis can get back to the form he showed and the promise he showed in his early Everton career, nobody would be more pleased than, than me. Uh and you know, as I say, I thought the back four didn't perform as particular as as well as they had. Um, but nonetheless, they've, they've got the point. They've conceded three, as you say, no meaner. Um, you wonder whether that made a bit of a difference. I think he'll be back for the cup tie on Wednesday. Um, again, I'm I'm a bit concerned at the moment about the Charleston's form. I think he did a little bit better on Saturday, so hopefully he's playing back into. Um, is his form that we see in early season and, and for last season, but he's not been great as he Richardson for this most part of this season. Uh, and then across the the team, you know, as I say, I thought Davis played up. Decore uh, is just starting to to get better and better. I thought Decore against uh, United was fabulous. Actually, I I gave him man of the match. I know a lot of people said it was Tom. But I thought Takore, you know, involved in the goals, um, pinched one himself, powerful unit, really looked the part. And I think, again, alongside Alain, it just gives him a bit more freedom, usually, doesn't it, to, to bomb forward. And I think we're going to see more of that lad next season. It's, it's, it's something I'm really looking for. Once he's settled into the team, we have a couple more quality players in and around him bit more solidification behind him as well so that he does feel that he's able to to let loose a bit more. I think, uh, yeah, great news for for Everton that we've got to Corey uh, and he's starting to look like the player we thought we got from Watford last season. No, I totally agree, Frank, I think. And and I was thinking about that myself, to be honest, because in terms of him for Watford, he was always like Mm. box-to-box, wasn't he? Uh, Where with us and... With injuries as well, I think that that have happened in the squad. Uh, I think he's obviously had to maybe sit a little bit deeper. Um, but like you said, with Alan hopefully coming back, um, and, and you know who knows it, you know it could be Gabam and it could be someone else. Um, maybe obviously as, as a sitter there in the middle. Then um, like you said, I think he's going to go from strength to strength. But in terms of what we paid for him, 
Um, you know, I, I think he's been a no. great buy, yeah. and uh, you know, like you said, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what he does in these next couple of years. Um, just, just to, I'll say, Frank, just obviously building up to the week, um, we'll, we'll touch on that a bit a bit later on, and saying because obviously we've got two massive games yeah. coming up: Spurs Wednesday, and obviously Fulham, um, Fulham as well on the weekend. But just wanted to sort of tell back a, a bit further, if you like, in terms of your memories uh, of the Blues. Um, probably one of the big parts on this podcast. We obviously touch touch about people's best and worst moments <laughs> of Everton, really. Uh, and I'm sure I'm sure you have seen a few. To be honest, Frank. Um, just just in terms of players, players first of all, Frank. I, I'm sure obviously you've seen some. You know you've seen some of the greats to, to wear a, a royal blue shirt. Um, and you know, sadly, probably in recent years, you know, th- th- there's players that haven't lived up yeah. to that. But is the have you got a favourite player, Frank? Is the one that, that stands out above all of them? Yeah, well, two really. I mean, the first, my first Everton sort of favourite, and and you're always have an affection for your first, don't you? Whether that be in, in football or in love or whatever. So, <laughs> so, so you, you look back on it with fondness. And Joe Royal was the number nine in the 69-70 title winner side. Yeah. I was the goal scorer. Uh, you know, I was six, seven at the time watching that team. Um, and he was my big favourite and, and managed to go up to Belfield and meet him, Alan Bourne, a couple of the other players as well, because my dad had a... Uh, and in uh, he was driving the coach for, for the Liverpool team at the time. Um, but got that, in those days, they got to know the players from, from Anfield and Goodison. Okay, he yeah. took me up to Belfield, got in, when it was a bit of a fortress under Harry Catrick. Um, so we were lucky to get in at all. And, and Joe came over and signed me autograph book, had a little chat with me. So Joe Royal, I've always got great memories of him as a player and obviously then latterly uh, as a manager when he, he, he yeah. created that Dogs of War sign. Uh, and then my favourite all-time Everton player, I have to say, um, is Peter Reid. And uh, Reid, you know, was bought into the club at a time when we were, we were really struggling under Howard. Uh, he brought Reid and Andy Gray in. Um, I think the combined fee for the pair of them was probably about 300 grand. <laughs> it's just when you think about it yeah. now. And at the time, nobody was expecting them to have the uh, effect that they did because both of them were seen as past the best. You know, Reedy had had two broken legs. Andy Gray was injury prone. And you're looking at it, scratching your head, really thinking, you know, this, this is a gamble and a half. But Kendall knew what he was doing. He brought two really experienced lads into the side that was a good side, but a young, inexperienced side. And two winners, uh, you know, because Peter Reed's attitude, his commitment, um, the way he used to lead uh, the midfield and the rest of the team, to be honest. I mean, he, was, he wasn't the captain, but he was the captain. Uh, and, you, you know, whenever I think of an image of Peter Reed, He's got a contorted face and he's screaming at someone saying, come on. <laughs> and, and for me, you know, that was like the most committed Evertonian playing every week, but with 100% talent alongside that 100% commitment. Uh, and so, you know, I thought Peter Reid during those mid-80s um, times was an absolutely fantastic, phenomenal footballer and then more importantly I have to say um, a great guy you know I've, I've again been fortunate enough to meet him on a number of occasions uh, he spoke at a downtown event 
And, you know, his politics match my politics, which helps. Um, but he's so down to earth. Uh, still loves his football, obviously, and has some fantastic anecdotes about Howard and, and that period uh, within Everton's his history. Um, but no, Peter Reeve for me, absolutely the the star, the guy that, that I would say is my all-time Everton favourite. And, you know, the other thing that we spoke about on a previous podcast not long ago was the, uh, the run-in he used to have on a regular basis with Brian Marwood. And I think, again, this, this sort <laughs> yeah. of epitomised that Everton team and Peter Reid. We were sort of saying that, you know, the Everton team at the moment um, looks as though they can get a bit bullied. Um, so, you know, Shelby and a few others in the Newcastle team will, will get... They're taking turns where they uh, yeah. pick, picking the yellow cards up. And, you know, you could never do that with that mid-80s Everton team. Well, you could try... Um, but you were going to get kicked yourself. And Marwood took uh, Adrian Heath out of a game in 84, and she was on a, an incredible run. I think he'd just been called up to the England squad. And he was scoring for fun, him and Graeme Shaw, fabulous partnership. And Marwood took him out with a terrible tackle. They finished his, his season at quite a bit out of Inchi's game, I have to say. He was never quite yeah. the same player when he came back. Although, of course, he came back into the side 86-7, won another championship medal. But he was never quite uh, as good as he was during that 84 period. And after that, as I say, you know, during the game itself, uh, he put a, a GBH tackle on Marwood <laughs> during the game. And then after that, he just went looking for him. You know, Marwood just didn't want to be on the same path as Peter Reid. But it wasn't just Reid, you know, across that team, they all knew how to look after each other. And um, the, 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 one, the other incident I remember with Peter was when we beat Liverpool again after a 14-year period, we thought that was bad, um, in 1984, and the famous Graeme Sharp goal. And Jan Molby was relatively new to the Liverpool side then. Unit, Jan, you know, big six foot yeah, big lad, Frank, um, yeah. Big lad, and he, you know, obviously come with a, a lot of plaudits. And he was going to be the, the great new hope for Liverpool. And he went on a fabulous career. Again, I've, I've met Jan a few times, lovely fella. Um, but within the first minutes of the derby, really put him up in the air about six foot. <laughs> Fucking Malby was looking around, <laughs> like, what what's this? And then the next, you know, he, he gets himself up and then a couple of minutes later, he's there, they go bang, bang, bang. And, and honestly, Malby just didn't want, again, didn't want to be there. And obviously we went on, won the game 1-0, but totally dominated the match. But that was Peter Reid. You know, Peter Reid could mix it up. But I feel as though I'm doing a bit of a disservice here, Matty, because the other side of Peter's game, he was a fantastic passer of a ball. You know, you, yeah, he could you play Frank, couldn't count on the fingers of one hand the number of times he'd give the ball. And, you know, just short, simple passes off him. But he also had a range of passes uh, and scored the odd great goal as well. And as I say, for me, he he is Everton Football Club. That's Peter Reid, as I say. He's got the skill. He can mix it, if you like. Uh, totally committed. And don't mess with us. And that's why, you know, he, I think, forever now will be my favourite Everton player. 
No, I think it's a great show, Frank. And um, like yourself, I've, I've been lucky. Um, I've been to quite a few after dinners where obviously you've spoken. Uh, I obviously keep an eye on his social media because, like you said, <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of his football and his politics, I'm very much aligned to that as well. So um, he's always he's always good copy, yeah. isn't he? Easy for that sort of stuff, which which is which is brilliant. Um, but like you said, in terms of uh, obviously big job as well. Um, I've been lucky to be in his presence a few times, and you know I could listen to him all yeah. day as well. Um, to Thing, what you know, what a fantastic fella, and what you know, what a fantastic representative of uh, Everton Football Club. I remember Frank as well, like you said, and obviously you remember the members in playing, um, which you know must have been absolutely superb to, to see that side. Um, but probably his team, um, his team in the mid 90s was probably the, the, the first team that I, you know, actually where it was mm-hmm. going the game regularly. Um, and it was just obviously we'd win in the cup and then um, getting Andre in and a, a Gary Speed and a, a couple of other players. You know, I don't know about you, I, I really thought we were on the verge of something. And then, you know, from obviously from going from that, if it, it sort of finished as quick as it started, didn't it? Uh, where obviously, you know, there was a thing over it was it was it Dion Dublin saw Andre flow he wanted yeah. and uh, obviously Johnson yeah. wouldn't stump yeah. off the cash and yeah. he walked, you know, yeah, it was, it's um, it was it was so yeah. sad to say I was yeah, saying. It was Andre Flow, yeah. Dublin was Howard. Um so Howard retired right, over, yeah. over Dion Dublin and, and uh, Joe Royal over uh, Andre Flow and of course both went on to have really good careers. So it proves that you know chairman needs to allow managers to do the job they're employed to do, don't they? Really. Um, so, Most so Joe, I mean, I think Joe was unlucky. Uh, I think even now he says he doesn't quite know what happened in terms of the conversation with Peter Johnson, where he ended up, you know, yeah. a non-resignation, resignation, almost as famous as his non-substitution, substitution at Ellen Road. Funnily enough, against Tottenham. Funnily enough, which. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, a fabulous win. You probably had that game, Matthew. So you know, turn them over but for my favourite Frank yeah. game. But Joe was yeah. was very unfortunate. I think that um, Kinchelskis had a bit of a purple patch first season and a half with us, and then obviously it's well documented now he had some issues off the field, which were clearly impacting on his performance on it. Nobody could have foresaw that. Um, but Gary Speed had come into the side, tremendous player. Duncan was with us, of course. We had a good team, didn't we? But we tried to get Stan Collymore. And I think, had we been able to get him rather than uh, the other crowd over the road, that probably would have completed Royal side. We ended up, I think, getting Barnby, um, who Mm. never quite fitted into Joe's style of play. Barnby had a better career, one of the few, when Walter Smith took over and, and stuck him out on the wing. Uh, and then he ended up yeah. obviously going across the park. But Joe was unlucky, I thought. Um, and, you know, I, I often wonder, have we stuck with him uh, for another season or two, whether he'd have been able to turn it round? I'm sure it's a big regret for him. Certainly a great regret for us because it sent us back into a long period of transition, didn't it? And, um, yeah, and, and you know, for me, um, you know, last last manager at Everton Football Club to, to win to win a trophy, uh, an FA Cup. And let's not forget, when he took the job, we were bottom of the league. You know, we were marooned yeah. at the bottom of the league. looked as though we were going to be relegated. Mike Walker had, had done his very best to destroy <laughs> the, the club. Uh, and, you know, again, his first game in charge, another memorable one, Liverpool at home. 
2 0. Uh, and again, nobody could have seen that coming. So, for all sorts of reasons, you know, as a manager, I thought Joe was, was unlucky. And um, some people say you make your own luck, but sometimes you are just a sign away from making things click. And I think Collie Moore would have made a massive yeah. difference to that side. Could never quite get the goalkeeping situation sorted either, though, could he? Brought Gerard in from Oldham. That didn't work out. You know, Neville was obviously the back end of his, his career. So he, he he would have needed to have sorted that out because you've got to have quality in between the sticks to 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 win anything. But as a player, and and I only vaguely remember uh, him playing for, for Everton because, as I say, you know, I know he was my favourite because he was scoring every other week. I think he yeah. got twenty goals that season, maybe a couple more. Took the penalties as well, but as a, an odd style of penalty in a sense, he just used to smash it right down the middle. <laughs> he used to, there was no finesse. <laughs> about Joe Royal penalties. But then again, I think he was unlucky. Uh, Billy Bingham came in um, and, and probably thought Joe uh, uh, passed his best in terms of his career. Um, but Joe went on to have a great career at Manchester City. Done really well there. Again, injury prone, but I think he won the League Cup there and then went to Bristol and, and went down the leagues. But I think we could have got a couple more years out of Joe. And I think he could have played alongside Bob Latchford, who was another big favourite of mine. Uh, because I think that the styles were different. I think Joe was much better on the floor. Uh, he would go into the midfield, pick the ball up uh, and play. Whereas Bob was very much, you know, target man, target man. So I think those two together. In fact, um, Joe and Brian Kidd formed a great partnership at uh, Man City. So you can have two big lads up front. Andy Gray and Graham Sharp. So I think Billy Bingham made a, a bit of a boo-boo there uh, in letting him go earlier than he should have. But uh, listen, we, we let Alan Ball go as well. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, yeah, so, so, exactly so, yeah. no, great memories. Two great guys, Joe and Peter, and of course, two scouts. Um, uh, but he formed Evertonian. Um, so he tends to be worse. You yeah, know, converts yeah. are always worse, aren't they? Uh, than Joe, but you know, still big fans of the club. Uh, and just a final thing on on Joe Royal. Joe always said there is a player in Tom Davis. So you know, over the past yeah, past so, couple yeah, of games, right. Tom is starting to prove that. So fingers crossed, Joe's right in his assessments. And uh, and uh, you know, if anyone knows a player, then it's Joe Royal. Yeah, no, I totally agree, Frank. And like you said, yeah, you know, more power to him. I just hope, uh, obviously, hope Tom continues to. But I think for me, uh, I'm sure we'll touch on it a bit later. Um, for me, what as long as he's doing the, you know, the the easy things, um, you know, well, then I, I think yeah. that's all he needs to do. Really, I think sometimes he, he's had a tendency to mm-hmm. try and do too much. I don't know whether maybe that's because the orders management wise yeah. or whatever. But I think as long as he's just you know playing it simple, I think there's yeah. definitely a player in there uh, for me, Frank. But speaking of players, um, and obviously you've you've you've, you've mentioned there two, you know, two are probably our all-time greats. Um, but on the other side of things, and it's been interesting listening um, to people who've come on the podcast when we're talking about the worst <laughs> Everton players um, because we've had we, we've had a good mix to be perfectly honest um, and it's been interesting the way the angle people have come at this from um, some people have like basically said about players who just had no ability whatsoever um, and on the other side of the coin players who've come to the club mm. with a big reputation 
but just yeah. haven't delivered for whatever reason. He just haven't haven't put the efforts in. So is is the one that stands out for you? Very difficult. There's that many of them, and it's it's a, it, it's a sad thing to say. <laughs> you tell me you're going to ask me that question. It's racking my brains. Um, in terms of of being the most disappointed signing, I think for me uh, was James Beattie. Because again, when you look right. at, at Moisey and the, the, the number of times he came close to getting to, you know, winning a cup or getting us into the top four, you know, we sort of best of the rest, weren't we? And, and I hated that, that, that badge, but it, it was true. Yeah. And you always felt that we, we were a big sign in a way. Um, and, you know, we, again, a bit unlucky was Moisey with this because Yakubu was looking the past, then got a serious injury, I think, down at Spurs. Uh, yeah. Andy Johnson set the plate on fire for the season, but then lost, you know, went off the boil. Um, and then, you know, he's gone out and bought BT for big money, who at the time, you would probably say, was the, the best English centre forward available. And, you know, I certainly mm-hmm. thought he was going to take us to the next level. And it just never out for him. Nice guy by all accounts. Uh, never met James Beattie, but you know everybody who who, who I know has met him does. That nice fella. Maybe too nice um, for for a centre forward. Maybe uh, further evidence that banging goals in every week for a Southampton is not the same as having to come and play at Goodison Park uh, because you know whatever the pundits may, say, however much the crowd across the road can sneer. Everton's a big club and you've got to have a particular mentality to be able to play at Everton. Um, if you're not doing the business, the crowd let you know. But the expectation for Everton centre-forward is you're scoring regularly. And if you're not scoring regularly, then you're certainly putting yourself about and making it really difficult for the opposition. And James Beattie just didn't do that. Um, didn't have a lot of money. So, for me, he was the biggest disappointment. The player, and this is a really difficult one, because this guy is a lovely guy, uh, and he knocks around some of the lounges now when <laughs> when we are live. Um, but <laughs> the player, I always remember, I always used to groan when his name was read out on the team sheet on a Saturday afternoon, was Jim Pearson in the... Nice. I've heard the name uh, 1974-75 season and he was he's a workmanlike player Jim he put 100% effort in he, he'd never let you down as far as that was concerned but he used to sort of play well, there's two reasons I didn't like him one was that, that he used to be the, the player who'd play if Bob was injured and he was never the Bob Latchford um, and so again if you look at that 74-75 team we should have won the league that season Lost twice to Carlisle, uh, who got relegated. And I mean, we lost them. We got beat 3-0 at their place. And I think it might have been 3-0 as our place. Got absolutely pummeled by them. And they were crap. And then a game against Sheffield United that we were 2-0 up in. And there was a player called David Smallman, who we'd signed from Wrexham, scored an absolute worldie. And then Gary Jones scored a penalty. And bizarrely, Second half, we've we've thrown the game away and lost 3-2. Had we got a point from each of those games, I think we'd have won the league that season. That's how close it was. Um, and Jim Pearson had played, certainly played in that Sheffield United game and in the absence of Bob Latchford. Um, but then, to me, 
him even more popular with the supporters. And and bear in mind, I'm sort of 11, 12 at the time. So so you, you, you your prejudices are slightly different than if you're watching the game as a as, as a an older guy. But Duncan McKenzie was bought by um, Billy Bingham just before he was sacked, alongside Bruce Rio. But of course, McKenzie was a bit of a football magician. You know, he could do anything with a ball. And there's a magnificent uh, game against Stoke where they show clips now and again from that game. I, th- I think we beat them 2-0, but he's, he's got the ball and he keeps the ball for about five minutes, beats the Stoke players twice. You know, this is just fantasy football stuff. But Gordon Lee then became manager. And Gordon Lee, again, quite a dour character and wanted Duncan McKenzie to do the dirtier part of the game. So, you know, tackle, chase back, all that. So, well, that's not Duncan McKenzie. And the player who used to take Duncan's place was Jim Pearson. So Jim Pearson then has taken one of my favourite players' places. And I don't think he's particularly good anyway. So Jim Pearson, I'd have to say, sadly, because as I say, he knocks around the lounges now and he, he seems to be a lovely, lovely fella. Um, but Jim Pearson, because he kept Duncan McKenzie out of the side and because every memory I have of him playing in place of Bob Latchford gives me bad memories of uh, of us being denied things. He played again. In the semi-final against Liverpool, when Brian Hamilton had that goal disallowed for nothing, and who was the centre forward? Bob was injured. Jim Pearson. You know, it's just well, whatever else yeah. Jim Pearson was. I'll tell you what, he wasn't a fucking lucky charm. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Matty, and I'm sorry um, if he's listening. But but Jim Pearson. But uh, yeah, he's a great ambassador for the club now, and uh, and I'll buy him a pint to make up for the for those comments of a see. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, speak for the youth from Canada, so... Uh... <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. No, to, be, to be fair, Frank, my uncle Bob, I think, I, I think our Bob's around about the same age as you, and um, he's mentioned Jim Pearson to me quite a bit, mate, so um, I think that was that was a good one, to be fair, Frank. But like you said, Jim, if you're listening, don't worry, we'll, we'll sort you out, no problem. Um, but no, I appreciate that, Frank. Just, just in terms of, obviously, again, this has been a really good talking point with a lot of people, especially people from different areas and about what, what it means to them, really, in terms of, like, mm-hmm. favourite kits and worst kits. Um, it's been great to listen, because, to be honest, we've had a, a few, um, especially mm-hmm. the 86 home one, um, which yeah. is, like, obviously the bib, yeah. you know, the, the white and yeah. blue um, split. Um, there's been people who've been on, probably down the younger end of the scale, mm. who said, you know, it's fantastic, what a kit that is. But obviously people around at the time's like, well, hang on a minute, that's the season <laughs> yeah. we should have done the double and we yeah. didn't. So we don't like it. Yeah. So it's stuff like that, really, which has been great to hear from people. But um, is, the, is the one that's... I really like you, the 84-85 kit. Uh, and not just because, uh, obviously, yeah. we, we associate it with success. But I just thought it was a really nice kit. You know, quite a thin pinstripe in it. Uh, I like the, um, the neck. Um, which was quite innovative at the time, actually, uh, because I didn't like those flyaway collars, you know, in the 70s when you look back at those. Uh, and then, yeah. it, you know, the white shorts and the white socks uh, with the stripes, uh, the blue stripes on the white socks, which was great. So I always thought that kit looked really smart and obviously you're associated with success anyway. Um, I actually like the the, the uh, following. I know we didn't get the the double that we deserved that season, 
Um, you, you know, it makes me laugh now to hear all these whinges over uh, injuries. Fucking hell, that season, I think we lost. We lost Reedy for a, for a long <laughs> period. We lost Bracewell. We lost Southall for the last part of the season. Probably Mins had to come in. Southall went and played on a bog in Ireland and, and done as, lig- as cruciate, I think it was. Um, so, yep. you know, when Liverpool supporters now, you know, with their squad of 93, haven't spent... Twelve billion pounds on players. That's and about the fact that they've had the centre half missing for the season it does make me smile. I thought Roy Keane hit the nail on the head in his comments last night for Sky to be honest. Stop whinging and moaning, crap on. So that season, although a lot of Evertonians look back at that and, and hate it, and I can understand why because it was heartbreaking in the end. Played some fabulous football, you know, that season. And Gary Lynn was on fire. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, despite the fact that, as I say, we didn't win anything, now you think, what a team that was, you know. And we won the European Cup that season as well, by the way. But that's another story. Uh, So I, yeah, that's another, yeah, that's another one. um, So, so yeah, you know, that for me, those sorts of mid eighties kits, not just because of the menus, but I just there was a bit of thought gone into the design. They were a bit innovative, a bit different. Um, so yeah, really like those kits. Favourite away kit uh, again, half back. Um, a successful period. That sixty-nine seventy uh, team used to wear this really solid amber top, uh, solid blue shorts, yeah. solid uh, amber socks. I always thought that the team looked great uh, running out in that. Went to a couple of away games, and, and we wore it bizarrely in a home game in. Uh, the cup in 1970 against Colchester. We ended up wearing our away kit at Goodison Park. They were in all red. And I think memory serves me right. It was because it was on the television. Uh, and obviously back in the day, it was black and white uh, for a lot of people watching. Yeah, yeah. So not in our house. I think my dad had managed to get one off the back of a lorry from one of his bus driver mates. But I think <laughs> I can't tell <laughs> We wore this yellow kit and we turned them over, I think, five, one, five, two, maybe. Um, and I, I always remember pestering the life out of my dad to get me that kit. I just wanted that kit. It was quite difficult to get the away kits in them days. It wasn't like now. Uh, I eventually, I got the top. I don't think I ever got the full kit. Uh, but I love that kit. In, in terms of kits that I, that I don't like, I've never really hated any of their home kits. I think most of them have stuck with the tradition. I'm sure there have been some when they've come out. I've thought I'm, I'm not keen on that. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I didn't like the um, the away, you know, that pink salmon one with the blue stripes. Oh, the original one, Frank, yeah. yeah There's no yeah, just been a few I, different takes yeah, on it. I, 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 just, I mean, there was a lot of kits around that time in the Premier League that were just too gauche for me. You know, they just um, two-way out. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday had a terrible away kit and, and Arsenal as well, you know, where people just looked as though they were taking the base of the kit with it being Arsenal, I think it was yellow, and then just throwing a tin of paint over it. <laughs> you know, go, there you go, there's yeah, your away yeah, kit. Yeah. And, and that kit to me was... I know people say, oh, well, it was linked back to Everton in 1800 and whatever. But you can take these traditions too far, you know, and I just... Uh, that was the one. That, that's the only one that I'd say I really disliked. All the others I've, I've been quite comfortable with. I've been more disappointed by some of the fuckers who put the shares on rather than the shares itself, to be honest. 
<laughs> which which we'll, we'll touch on it again in a sec, mate. Because uh, I wanted that's it's a good segue, really, in terms of uh, again, it's been a great talk on points and great to hear the people's memories about you know favorite matches and, and obviously worst <laughs> matches that they've been to. And uh, yeah, we've we've had a, we've had a few laughs and had a few tears to be honest, Frank, when we've been discussing this. But um, in in terms of the best, you know, your your, your favorite match um, is the one again. Well, if you want to say and, and and for many reasons, I would as yeah. well. I was in the Gladys Street, and, and people say it was the best atmosphere they'd ever been at. And, and, and by the way, I say that having been at Anfield for a number of European nights. And it, it, I suppose mm-hmm. as an Everton, you're always going to plump for that. But a lot of players who played in that game said they've never played in an atmosphere like that anywhere in the world. It was just an incredible game. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, I think again, if if you knew anything about football at the time, that was the fine, really. You know, the end of game was was a formality in a sense. So I think a lot of people would have said that to you, Matty. But but actually, for me, for for other reasons, um, it was that I mentioned earlier the Tottenham game um, when we beat them four one in the, yeah. the the cup semi final. Uh, it well, was mine as well, Frank. Well, that was, it was the mine first as well. season that my lads had season tickets. Um, and, <laughs> you know, a bit like me in 69 and 70, they thought this is good being an Evertonian. Learn to live differently, learn differently <laughs> didn't they? But anyway, we, <laughs> so we goes down to Ellen Road uh, and we've got the, um, you know, the, the Everton songs on the tape and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I think it was here we go uh, was 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 the probably the the most up to date one then, um, and we're singing along and, and we're uh, well we're, we're looking forward to the game, but there's some trepidation because everybody thought Tottenham were going to turn us over. They had Klinsman, they had Anderson on the wing, they had a good team, didn't they? Um, and everybody was talking about the dream final between Tottenham and Man United. So we had this dogs of war reputation. We thought we'd be lucky to get through. We wanted to snatch a 1-0, if we're honest. We'd been happy with that. And then we got into the ground. And the reason it's my favourite game is because I'm with my two boys. And they have never experienced yeah. a game like that in the last. Uh, we had three, three um, parts of the ground of Ellen Road. So it felt like a home match. The Evertonians, as they always are away from home, were Absolutely tremendous, very vociferous, got right behind the team. Uh, and then, far from it being a Dogs of War performance, it was a very, very classy, uh, traditional uh, School of Science performance. Uh, some of the goals we scored that day, uh, the way in which they kept the ball, we never, we never looked comfortable. Tottenham got a dodgy penalty, um, but, you know, we went, then just went down the other end of the field, went 3-1 up. But the whole the fact that it was an unexpected comfortable victory and the manner of victory uh, was absolutely terrific. Uh, but obviously, as I say, from a personal perspective, because I had my two boys there and it was their first semi-final, um, that's the one I, I have the fondest memories of, really. Um, and then one final one, if I may, very quickly, because, again, this is to do with, yeah, uh, with my dad, who you know, was entirely responsible for for my love of Everton Football Club. Um, and, and I don't know whether to, to, to thank him or not for that, really. But um, sadly passed a few <laughs> years ago, my old fella. But his, the game he always used to go on about 
was the um, 4-4 against Liverpool. And we were in the top balcony yeah. for some reason that season. I can't remember why. Um, and we, we obviously were watching that game most of the time with, with, uh, with again, uh, an awful lot of trepidation because Liverpool kept scoring these worldy goals. <laughs> I remember one from Barnsley in particular. It was absolute cracking goal. Yeah. And we were just scrapping the ball in, you know, it was it was it and Grobbler on the arse and then Nickel on the head and Sharpie had popped one in and then Tony Cotty came on as a sub with about five minutes to go and he got a couple on the night. And and just remember the elation yeah. of my dad um that night and we went back to one of the local pubs. Um and I think it was the Harlot actually. Uh and we ended up in there, you know, um singing Everton songs all night afterwards, just celebrating because the 4-4 felt like a win. And we did go on and win the replay. Um, so those are my sort of favourite memories. Bayern Munich, semi-final. Um, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, semi-final again. And then the, the Derby 4-4. Um, bonus, as I say, we won the replay. And uh, King Kenny resigned the next day. So happy days. <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah. No, three, three great games, Frank. Three absolutely brilliant games. Um, but obviously, I've got to ask on the other side now. And again, it's been interesting to hear uh, people's take on this in terms of like a you know a, a worse defeat. Yeah, that that you've been at, and we again we've had some crackers really. Again, games games where you know maybe we've been expected to win. Uh, yeah. The Wigan games come up a couple of times, yeah. you know, under Moisey and a few different things. But then there's others where we've just you know we've been absolutely hammered and outclassed, yeah. um, you know, by, by certain teams. So again, is this is, is the Two, one that actually, uh, the one that sticks um, in your both mind? At, both at Wembley. Um, so right. the first one was the United Cup final in '85. And I think this may be why I, I don't see the 85-86 season as as, um, as devastatingly bad as some Evertonians. Because for me, the big mm. disappointment was not winning the treble in 84-85 because that team should have won the treble. Yeah. You know? And if we'd, have had, if we'd have had the rules that are in place now, you know, they'd have moved the cup finals to the Sunday probably. And give Everton an extra day's rest. Well, he certainly would have if it was United or Liverpool, wouldn't they? Probably give them an extra week. Um, <laughs> but you know, we had to come back uh, and Saturday, and we played quite well. But uh, again, you talk to the players, and they will tell you they were knackered, um, and you know, we're running on empty really um, for for the extra time in particular. Reedy again hit the post that game, and then when he was clear through and Kevin Moran dragged him back, uh, you know, that was a good breakaway. But you just got the sense we weren't going to score. Uh, and, and again, nobody was particularly wanting to get dragged back for a Wednesday night replay. You know, a lot of us have been, a lot of people have been over to Rotterdam, not me, sadly, but a lot of people have been over to Rotterdam on the Wednesday. We, we had semi final at Villa Park. We, you know, lads have been all over Europe. So the idea of coming back for a replay. But I wish we had now. Um, because obviously it stopped us doing what would have been an historic treble. Uh, and we'd have done the double before the other lot over the park, which would have been nice. That really sticks in my craw because we we beat United that season 5-0. And we'd knocked them out of the League Cup comfortably. And then we'd gone to their place and got a draw. So... 
we should never have got beat that day, and that, and that really still niggles me the fact that that stopped us getting the the treble, um, which that team deserved as well. We went on again. People forget this, but we went on the following season to win the Super Cup as well. Uh, in a game, I think it was in Dubai. I think we won it on penalties. I'll have to check that. But I know we did win the Super Cup the following season with that team. Um, and then the other one again at Wembley, and again one where I I think we we just for for different reasons um, lost the game that we should have won was the semi final against Liverpool uh, and the famous this the the, the distambas come off a few times right uh, and uh, you know again. I keep saying this as though all Everton players must be really lovely fellas, but Sylvan Distan is a lovely fella. Um, you, you know, and he got the height of abuse uh, after that game. No one will have been more distraught than Silva after that semi final. Um, but actually, I don't blame Sylvan Distan. Uh, I blame David Moyes for that defeat because we were very, very comfortable first half. Jelovic had put us in front. They hadn't laid a glove on us. Um, we'd looked dangerous whenever we'd gone forward. Um, he was having a real purple patch, if you remember, Jelovic, that time. he was uh, Every, every yeah, time he had a shot, it seemed to go in. Um, for me, I think he's got them in at half-time. Obviously, I don't know this for a fact, but they came out second half as if they wanted to hang on to the 1-0. And I think the biggest criticism I have of David Moyes during his tenure at the good things, uh, and certainly more good than bad, but he'd instilled a culture within Everton that I think we're still suffering from now, which is um, the famous quote, we're taking a knife to a gunfight. And on occasion, that was the case. Yeah. But on that particular afternoon, it wasn't. Liverpool weren't a good side at that time. Andy Carroll was playing centre forward for them, you know, due respect, not the best centre forward I've ever seen. Um, and we just gave them too much respect. And I think part of it was not just the afternoon, it was we played at our field a few weeks earlier and he put virtually a reserve side out and Gerrard had scored the first hat-trick in a derby for like 99 years, which obviously the Liverpool echo probably produced a special edition of um, to commemorate the fact. But again, I think that put doubts in the, in the players who oh, beat us 3 0 a couple of weeks ago. It didn't actually, it was the reserves, you know. Uh, and I just thought Moisey, had he taken a more positive approach to that game, Liverpool were there for the taking. You know, there's lots of derby games I can look at over the years and, and think, you know, the Brian Hamilton disallowed goal. That's annoying because that's a referee who's robbed you. Um, the game against United, that's disappointing, but it's understandable because the players are a bit knackered after a long season and three days before they won a European Cup. But with that game, we only had ourselves to blame. And I think the manager had put a mindset into that team, into that squad, that meant that we were so nervous and so reticent about playing our own game that it then leads to someone making a mistake, which you're always liable to do if you defend it. Uh, and then they ended up getting slaughtered as the individual, as in this case, Sylvan Dista, when actually the team just didn't play second half. And as I say, they were there for the taking, Liverpool. I think Carroll scored last minute or something, didn't he, from a, a free kick or something like that. But no, that, yeah. so that one for me, that was when, that was the end 
of Moisey for me. Uh, I know a lot of people say it was the Wigan game and, and, and other people may point to, to other things that had happened. But for me, it was that game. I thought this fella's never going to win us anything because he just hasn't got the right mindset. Uh, he doesn't think, he doesn't think that we can beat Liverpool. And if your manager doesn't think that you can beat Liverpool, very difficult for the players to go out and believe that they can. And, you know, if I can bring that up to to the modern day. Now, one of the reasons, the one of the, one of the reasons, Easily again, frank, yeah. probably a little bit in the minority, but one of the reasons I love Martinez was that Martinez used to go out and say, no, whatever, we should be going out and beating Manchester United, Old Trafford. we should be going and trying to beat Arsenal. Now, okay, might have fell apart from a little bit in the second and third season, but I tell you what, I damn sight more time for Martinez than Koeman. Or Allardyce, you know, who, who Most you know, don't know about Silva. Totally agree. I get that fella, really. I don't think anybody got to know Marco Silva. But in terms of, you know, having the right attitude and the right mindset, Martinez has it. And Ancelotti's got it in spades. You know, he hasn't come to sit best of the rest. He's not come here because he thinks, oh, well, that's a nice pay packet because he's got enough money in the bank. He's come because... His ambition is being matched by the owner's ambition. And unfortunately, we as Evertonians were lulled into this. Isn't it great being sixth? Isn't it great being seventh? Isn't it great occasionally being one of the big four at home? And that was Moisey. He was a master at it, you know, in terms of under-promising and over-delivering. It was great for David Moyes. Because, again, you didn't get a pundit on the television saying anything other than what a fantastic he was. And up to a point, he was. But he was never the man who was going to take us to the next level, the level we needed to. He was never somebody who us a pot. So that attitude he had. And, and as I say, for me, the epitome of that was that semi-final against Liverpool. We should have gone out there, 1-0 up our time. Right, lads, go and finish the day for the taking. Instead, we came back, sat back, 11 men behind the ball, and the inevitable happened. Um, if I sound bitter, Matty, it's because I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, Frank, I, 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 was, I was there myself that day, mate, and um, I totally agree with what you're saying, to be perfectly honest, and I agree with what you said in terms of, yeah. I thought that was, that was the nail in the coffin for him, and I know we obviously went on a little bit longer, uh, and obviously what happened, happened with Man United, etc., but um, yeah, I, I think that was the day. I think we all walked. Uh, well, a vast majority yeah. was walked away yeah. from that and thought it's just not going to happen under him. Um, but like you said, but bring it obviously more back up to the modern day, mate. Um, and I know we mentioned there under Carlo. Uh, we've we've obviously got a massive game on Wednesday uh, in in the cup at home against Tottenham. You know, obviously with a with a potential quarter final uh, on the horizon if we if we can get through. And then with uh, Fulham as well on uh, on Sunday night uh, again another massive game if we if we can get three points there we're, we're well in the mix again with the top four so we're uh, just just obviously starting massive off with, game with for us isn't it because go. you know I thought Kane was going to be out <laughs> and he's come back and scored hasn't he yesterday um, so did I so did I think tell a story yesterday yeah he takes the cup serious so he likes winning a cup doesn't he Jose's uh, you know he the charity shields doesn't he. It's, uh, 
as as trophies. Well, he does, you know, and good on. You know, I like I like Mourinho. You know, I think he's a great personality. Yeah. Why so, not? Yeah, and, and I'd have had him. I said, yeah, absolutely, Frank. Me too. Um, I'm not saying over Carlo, but you know, I, I would have had Mourinho. I'd certainly have had him. I'd have had him over Allardyce. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's about Mike Walker over Allardyce. Compared to some um, of the other candidates, but, most definitely, um, Frank, yeah. But, but no, I think uh, it's going to be a really tough game. I think it's going to be tight. I think it'll be the odd goal that nicks it. Uh, and listen, you can't call it, can you? I'd be more confident if it was, you know, mid midweek under the floodlights of Goodison, 40,000 uh, in the ground. I'd be saying Everton all day long. Like that. Um, but I think, you know, given where we are at the moment, uh, no fans in the ground. Our home record, not as <laughs> convincing as we record. So, um, you know, I think we've got a chance. Most definitely not. Um, and it's going to be the odd goal, and it could go either way. I think he's he's obviously going to put a, 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 a top, top side out, isn't he? But the best side he can. That's why he rested me, you know, on Saturday. I think he sees the importance of the cup because he knows how important yeah. it is for us, how desperate we are. You know, and again, that's nice, isn't it, that he gets that. You know, he's only been at the club five minutes in comparison to Moisey, but he gets that. He gets why it's important for Everton to win a trophy, whether it be a League Cup, whether it be an FA Cup. Um, he knows we, we want to get something uh, on the honours list again. So we'll pick a strong side. Tottenham are a good team. I know they've had the ups and downs this season, but they've got some great players. Son, who I know is a bit of a bit of a uh, a demon, isn't he? For us, isn't he? But he's a great player. And some iron villains, should we say, Frank? And, and him and, and Kane, always dangerous going forward. I think they're a bit vulnerable defensively. So if we can get a performance out of Richarlison, if Dominic Dati, if Rodriguez can get a bit of space in the middle of the park, um, then we, we've got every chance. But, you know, it's not one of those games you'd be going and thinking... Yes, let's see. We can draw it in round six. It's very much a case of let's try and get through to the quarterfinals and then take it from there. Close game because of what's happened weekend. Because of that last minute, well, last kick of the game equaliser, we're going to be on a high. Uh, so I'm hoping that, that that's going to take us to uh, to two one. I'm going to predict a two one win for Everton on Wednesday night. Brilliant, Frank. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. saying that. Obviously, <laughs> I'll take anything, um, you know, to make sure we get through. Um, it'd be interesting to see, though, and it'd be good to get your take on this as well, Frank. Um, obviously, you know, do you reckon Alain could be fit um, for Wednesday? Um, who knows in terms of if they've been keeping him back, you know, obviously to make sure he's right. Um, if, if he's well, fit, do you think he goes straight in? You know, if he's, if he's fully match fit, then yes. If he could get 60 minutes out, I think he'll say yes. Um, and, you know, he's such a player when he is fit. He just holds that back four together, doesn't he? We always look more solid. He breaks the play up well. Uh, again, people compare them to, to re understand why because he plays the ball simple doesn't give it away uh, got a great tackle in him as well we don't get bullied uh, as much when he's in the side because he can go round and snarl and kick people he's good yeah. at that and I like that so if he's fit he should certainly um, but again just pick up very quickly on the, th the thing about injuries it, you know lots of teams have had injuries this season but Dean has had a very serious injury in his amaze people at how quickly he's come back. Um, 
I've noticed a few people having a pop at him not being as good as he was pre-Christmas. That lad's still not match fit. Uh, and he shouldn't be in the team. And if we have... No, he's not. No way in here, Frank. A two or three-year developed squad under Carlo Ancelotti, Dina wouldn't be in the team because he'd have someone who can come in and take his place and he'd feel comfortable with. Similarly with Gomez. You know, I think Gomez has last three or four games started to look like the player that we know he can be because he had that horrendous injury because of Son. Yeah, and, most definitely. And, you know, this is what makes me laugh about other clubs. Oh, well, these players have been injured and these key players have been out. You know, through the season, had some key injuries and suspensions. You never hear Ancelotti moaning about it. You never hear him going on to press conferences going, oh, no. isn't it? What am I no, doing? not once, Frank. You know, I've, 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 I've got this fella out and that's injured. And that's, you know, he just picks the 11 and tells them to get on with it. And again, goes back to mindset. Don't give your players an excuse before they even go on the path. You know, Bill Shankly will be turning his grave at some of the comments that Klopp's been making lately. I know this is an Everton podcast, but nonetheless, you know, we know how much stick we have to take from that lot. And, you know, when I look at their manager <laughs> before the game against City, saying, oh, but they've had more of a rest. Oh, and we've got all these injuries and, oh... You know, yeah, Shankly yeah. used to be saying to his team, oh, I've just seen that lot get off the coach. You know, say it was Man United back in the day. Bobby Charlton doesn't look fit. He's limping. Dennis Law looks as though he's got a sore back. George Best, he'll have been on the ale all night. He used to be doing the opposite. Absolutely running their chances down. Exactly, Bobby yeah. basically yeah. giving his side an excuse to go out and get beat. And he's supposed to be one of the best managers in the world. I thought. Oh, I thought the uh, I thought the cold feet brilliant. comment was a cracker. But, but you, you know, with, uh, with, with back, but, um... you won't hear him doing that. And you know, he will pick a side on Wednesday night, and he'll be saying to that team, whichever eleven he picks, I expect you to go and beat Tottenham. And we're certainly capable of doing so. But with a lamb, you know, he will know whether whether he's fit or not. Uh, if he is fit, he, for me, he's got to play. Um, and that, again, I think gives Hanez a bit more leeway to float about the pitch. And it certainly gives Decore a bit more licence to, to bomb forward as well. So, yeah, that that be that be the team if, if he's fit. Yeah. If he's Most fit. definitely, Frank. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree, Frank. And I, and I agree with you as well. I, you know, I think if, uh, especially if he's fit, I could see his nicking because for me, don't be wrong, I think we've turned in some good performances at times during the season, maybe not for a full 90 minutes. But I think that the oh, one time we yeah. did was that first game yeah. against Tottenham, which I thought was, you know, absolutely superb. But, you know, I remember watching it uh, with a good mate of mine, Dave, who's been on this, and he, he yeah. looked and he's just like, where's this come from? Where's this team come from? You know, compared to last season. Um, so, like you said, Frank, yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed we can get through. And then, obviously, going into... The Fulham game on yeah. Sunday because again they're a foot they're a funny side aren't they because I've seen them in flashes look really good going forward but obviously awful at the back and um, you look at where they where they are in the league as well um, obviously they're not having a great season but I thought you know considering the, the run we were on at the time um, going into yeah. that game you know yeah. they sort of give us a, a decent one yeah, for our money as well didn't side, we? so uh, I was thinking that like one's going to go from uh, and and hopefully he'll get another. You know, to to bring them up. 
next season, Scott Parker. I think he, he plays the game in the right way. He's trying to build something there, isn't he? He's not been able to spend fortunes. Uh, and, you know, they, they are a side who've got goals in them, uh, as you say, Matty. Not necessarily the best defensively, but we were hanging on at the end, weren't we, down at Craven Cottage? You know, haven't gone into a comfortable lead. So, I'll be yes. happy with three points. You know, I, I, I'll take... You know, I don't think it will be a one because I think if we play as we can, then we'll score three or four against them. Um, but again, Carlo's dilemma is going to be, thinking back to the Newcastle game, do we just go all guns blazing here and pick a side that ought to be able to go and, and just blow yeah. them away? Or do I reserve the side of caution and just bank the three points? And I think that's where his difficulty lies at the moment. You know, do we bring Colin back for Holgate? Um, again, he would probably be more comfortable doing so if Alan's back in the side. But has Alan got two games and four days in him? Probably not at this stage of his recovery. So, interesting to see yeah. the team he picks. You would listen. I, I, I would have put money on us turning the Newcastle over. Um, so Newcastle could be a bit of a banana skin. But, again, it goes back to that, doesn't it? If we perform the way we, sh- we can, then you'd, you'd say that's a for us. But we've said that a couple of times this season. It's backfiring. Um, but, yet again, I'm gonna, I am going to say 3-0, but I'm saying that with fingers, toes and everything else crossed, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree, Frank. I think uh, if we play anywhere near our best, um, mm. we, we should yeah. turn them over I think it'll be a very open game as well because as well, I've seen them play against everyone they've only got one way of playing really and obviously mm. they'll have a go um, they'll have a go obviously they'll try and move the ball quick and pass the ball through midfield so like you said we can obviously get a grip of them and uh, especially with yeah. you know I, I always think we're, yeah. we're quite dangerous now on the counter in terms of the pace we've got on the break um, and maybe that's the way they'll do it but um, yeah they like say say it again Frank I, considering where we are at the moment uh, and maybe as well with the games yeah. we've got coming up yeah. it's got to be a three pointer hasn't it so um, yeah definitely whatever way it is and I could see it maybe yeah. maybe being like you maybe a 3-1 3-2 maybe something like that um, but whatever it is just get the three points um, but anyway Frank j- just want to say thanks again for your time it's been brilliant to have you on uh, and obviously have your opinions and your memories it's been fantastic to listen to and I just hope, obviously, that we all know the way things are at the moment. But um, I just hope, obviously, yeah, the downtown and business still continues to go from strength to strength. As I say, doing all right. And like all businesses out there, uh, we're having our challenges and struggles. Uh, and the one thing I will say very seriously is there's lots of people struggling, you know, with anxiety, uh, with mental health issues. Uh, I think it's being overlooked a little bit uh, because everybody's obsessed with COVID. That sort of half get that. Yeah. But we're building ourselves up uh, an awful lot of other social issues here that are going to have to be tackled in the not-too-distant future. And I just would say to, to people who listen to the podcast, fellow Evertonians, you know, if you are in trouble or if you are feeling a bit down, there's plenty of people to talk to. Uh, and certainly if you're a business owner, don't be shy in picking the phone up uh, to us here because, you know, we, we're not a, an initiative, we're not a project, we're not a public sector-funded body. You know, we're a private sector organisation that's successful because it's my business. So, you know, I know what every business owner is going out, uh, going through out there because I'm a business owner myself. Uh, and listen, if you're an Evertonian business owner, I definitely know what you're going through. <laughs>
So, uh, there are serious <laughs> things. Um, get, give us a ring if, uh, if, if you think that you just could do with someone to talk to. It won't be us, but we'll pass it on to qualified people who can do that. And, and I've been amazed at the number of people who've asked for that help over the last few months, particularly during this lockdown, actually. Uh, and I much prefer people to shout for help than the alternative. Uh, and then the other thing, Matty, I, I just need to do this, if you don't mind, because I've done a f- couple of these podcasts recently, as you know. Uh, we're in a little WhatsApp group, uh, Evertonians, lads who I used to go to the match with in the 80s and, and lads who, uh, well, my lads who obviously uh, didn't know those great times. But it's Gizzy Ogo, Andy, Chris, Chris and Nathan, who I just want to give a shout out to because they've helped me get through the lockdown. Just having those conversations on WhatsApp whilst you're watching the game doesn't feel quite as isolated as uh, as it would otherwise. So thanks yeah. to those lads. And thanks to you, Matty, for the opportunity of, uh, of sharing some of those great and not so great memories this afternoon. Oh, no, it's fantastic, Frank. Say, great to have you on. And exactly like what you've said, um, mm-hmm. you know, if anyone is struggling, and I'm sure we all are in our own way, to be honest, like you said, it's reaching out, obviously, to uh, obviously our, our close, you know, our close friends, family, um, but also, like you said, there's, there's obviously other support out there for people uh, if, the, if those people aren't available. So, um, yeah, totally echo your point, Frank. And uh, just as I say, just fantastic to have you on. Um, but like you say, in, in terms of everyone else, um, hope you really enjoyed the podcast look after yourselves and up the toffees